Welcome to the Davy Tree Expert Companies podcast, Talking Trees. I'm your host, Doug Oster. Each week, our expert arborists share advice on seasonal tree care, how to make your trees thrive, arborists' favorite trees, and much, much more. Tune in every Thursday to learn more, because here at the Talking Trees podcast, we know trees are the answer. This week, I'm joined by Dr. Chris Fields-Johnson. He's a technical advisor for the Davy Institute down in Charlottesville, Virginia. And today we're talking all about the importance of keeping your soil healthy for your plants. Hi, Chris. How are you? Good morning, Doug. Doing well. Well, we both love something. It's called soil. That's right. My favorite thing. So let's talk a little bit about our trees, how they relate to soil, and then we'll talk a little bit about planting and finding the right spot. So healthy soil, what are we talking about there? Uh, there's lots of aspects to it. I think the, the key things to understand is that in most environments, a healthy soil is going to be rich in organic matter and be really well structured, have a nice aggregate structure to it, lots of porosity, lots of room for water and air movement, and uh Roots should be free to grow in three dimensions. If you have all those things in place, the microbes are going to be happy, plants are going to be happy, and uh, you should have a, a site that does really well. In general, what is the soil like in your area, in that part of Virginia? So, so I'm in the, the southeastern part of the United States. So our soils here uh, have really never been influenced by glaciation. So that's uh, one thing to understand. So a lot of the minerals have been weathering in place for literally tens or hundreds of millions of years. Um, I'm in the Piedmont region, which is an erosional environment. So here that is even more so exacerbated. You know, out on the coastal plain, they have coastal sediments and, you know, delta sediments and things like that. So it's a little bit fresher material. Uh, here in the Piedmont, this landscape's literally been eroding away in place for millions of years. Uh, so it tends to be more acidic, uh, lower natural level, levels of for fertility. Um, but the soil's deep, uh, it tends to have a fairly good structure because it's been forming in place in layers for for so long. Um, so what it lacks in basic fertility and, and having lower pH and all that, it makes up for in being good structurally. You know, it has good depth, good aggregation, water holding properties, things like that tend to be good. So let's get into pH a little bit. Tell me about the importance of pH when I'm thinking about planting something in a certain area. Yeah, pH is critical. It really is the master variable of all soil chemistry. Uh, and the reason for that is that at different levels of pH, elements will take on different mineral forms. They'll recombine into one form or another that maybe it's more or less soluble in water. So at a certain pH, uh, a, a chemical can form out of elements that is not soluble in water. And if that's true, then it's really difficult for plants and microbes to access that nutrient. And at a lower pH, that combination of elements might form a mineral or a molecule that's very much soluble and accessible by plants and microbes, and they can get at it. So yeah, pH has a big effect on what's available. So if you have a, a really um, high pH, certain things are going to be in short supply, like iron and manganese uh, get in short supply at a high pH. At a, a really low pH, uh, things like uh, nitrogen uh, might be in low supply. So we, we want to balance in most cases or have a plant that's specifically adapted to some extreme. You need one or the other. So let me see if I have this right. Regardless of how nutrient rich my soil is, if my pH is off, I might not be able, my plant might not be able to use those nutrients. Is that accurate? 
That's exactly right. Yeah. At an extreme pH, the nutrients will be locked up in an immobile form. Plants will not have access to those nutrients. You know, a similar concept is with soil structure. If your soil is just one solid brick, it doesn't matter if it's pH balanced and has perfect nutritional profile. If the roots physically cannot get in there to harvest that material, then it's useless to the plant. So similar kind of concept, just from a chemistry standpoint, as opposed to a physical standpoint. And in the case of, of pH, where we'd have too much acid or, or not enough uh, acidity, we can use a certain plant to be, you know, we, I guess I'm just thinking acid loving plants. I'm thinking rhododendrons, azaleas, olives, Japanese pieris. If I had acidic soil, depending on how acidic, I guess, those plants would be good for that. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. All, all those uh, heather type species do great in acidic soil. They actually prefer it. Uh, they'll start having problems if you get much out of the above, like the mid sixes and pHs. They'll uh, start having issues. They like the, the acid soil. Uh, a lot of the hardwood forest and coniferous forests, particularly in the, the east and the southeast, it is very well adapted to acidic soil. It'll thrive at a pH of five to five and a half and not have any issues. As you get below five, yeah, you, you start having problems. But yeah, a lot of our native forests, particularly in the east, uh, really prefer an acid soil. And so when I'm thinking about planting or where my trees are already growing and I don't have the pH I, I want or need, can I change it? Should I change it? You, you can try. It depends on how extreme the difference is between where you're at and what you need. So if it's a, a reasonable jump, then you can apply uh, lime to raise pH, or you can apply sulfur to lower pH. Uh, you can apply lots of uh, organic material, uh, organic mulches, wood mulches, and over time that will tend to depress pH if you're a little bit high. Um, but it's complex. You wanna do some soil testing, figure out uh, where your pH is to begin, get a sense of the exchangeable acidity in your soil. That's kind of that buffer capacity, the ability of the soil to resist a change in pH. If you know those two things and the soil texture and a little bit about the mineralogy, then you can get a good prescription from a soil lab for how much lime or sulfur or whatever to put down to get you to where you need to be. And you might not be able to do it in one step. You might have to put a little down every year uh, for a number of years to get where you want to be. But if you're, if you're fighting geology and climate, where having that extreme pH that's unfavorable to whatever you're trying to grow uh, is the case because of geology and because of climate, uh, you're going to be fighting that really indefinitely. So you have to make a decision about whether that's worth it. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. Uh, maybe you're better off just planting something that'll do well there naturally and not fighting the pH forever. And of course, it's important to get a soil test. You know, I see... Many homeowners, not so much with their trees, but maybe with their lawns, just indiscriminately throwing lime on there without knowing a scientific number. If you could talk a little bit about the importance of that soil test and giving you that scientific number. Yeah, you know, in some regions, you can make some educated conjectures about what soil is likely to contain or what its properties might be as far as pH and trends like that. Uh, but if you don't uh, get a random sample from your lawn or your beds, wherever your area of interest is, and submit that for rigorous laboratory testing, you don't really know. And you can't be precise about what you're doing. And you might be throwing things off, making them worse than they were. 
So it is important to periodically uh, do soil testing. It's not difficult. It's not expensive. And then you can be very precise about what you do and more efficient. If you're putting down material unnecessarily, it might not be doing harm. Uh, it might just be you're wasting your resources and your time. Uh, but in some cases, it can do harm. If you get pH uh, way too far off or put down way too much nitrogen or some other element, you might be harming your plant material, making it more susceptible to certain diseases and pests. And you could certainly be harming the environment. If you have fertilizer runoff, for instance, is a major pollutant in a lot of our waterways, causing eutrophication and fish kills and dead zones and stuff like that. Um, so it, it can actually cause harm if it's way overdone. Uh, but at a minimum, it's just a waste of resources and time. Well, good. Let's talk a little bit about that. You know, that's a great point about over-fertilization or overuse of different amendments. The plant can only take up so much, right? And then what's mm -hmm. left does go into our storm sewers, and we don't want that. Yeah, yeah the plants can do something called a luxury consumption, where they'll take in a little bit more uh, nutrition than they really need. Uh, that can cause harm in a few different ways. One, you can get way too much vegetative growth. And if your goal is to have uh, flowers or fruits or some other uh, product or aesthetic quality, then all that extra vegetative growth and leaves and longer shoots and all that might not really mean anything to you. And it might be taking away from the flowers and the fruits and whatever your goal really was. Uh, the other issue there is that when you have lots of vegetative growth, lots of uh, volume of plant material, the concentration of phytocompounds uh, inside that plant material goes down. Those are all the defense compounds that help plants to defend themselves against pests and diseases. Uh, so some of that resilience goes away. And then if you have a lot of extra free nitrogen, in particular in plant sap, uh, you're sucking and leaf chewing insects. They consume all that nitrogen. They use that to synthesize proteins. And guess what they do with those proteins? They make babies. And you can you know, get big bumps in pest populations by having too much nitrogen applied. And that is also true for certain types of uh, leaf blights and diseases. By having too much nitrogen in the system, you can exacerbate those. And then you have a, an ongoing plant health care issue. Yeah, so there is harm that can be done. And then there's all the follow-on effects of whatever the plants don't actually take up, if it's just going to leach through the soil or run off the surface of the soil, that's going to end up in the water and create a big problem there. It's going to cause algae blooms. The algae goes through a cycle. It dies, eats up all the oxygen in the water. You get fish kills and dead zones. And it's kind of a nightmare. Um, so it's better to be precise and only use fertilizer when we need it and in the amounts that are appropriate. In nature, in a deciduous forest, the trees leaf out at the end of the season. They drop those all there, and this goes on year after year after year. That's improving that soil there. What do we do in our landscape to, to make our soil better, have more organic matter in there? Yeah, in nature, all the leaf turnover and uh, root turnover happens on its own, and the system builds up carbon and biomass over time and accumulates nutrients and recycles nutrients. Uh, so a, a big issue in the uh, green industry is that a lot of that leaf material is raked away and blown off every autumn and it never comes back to that site. It may be composted and end up somewhere else. Some of it might be burned or landfilled, 
but you know, most of it doesn't come back to where it came from. So I think the best thing we could do is try to get that cycle reestablished wherever we can. If you can create beds around trees and shrubs and allow the leaves to fall in the autumn, and then once leaf fall is complete, just mulch over top of them, kind of arrange the leaf litter in an attractive way and then mulch over top of it with like an inch of a wood chip mulch or like a, a cured mulch product to make it look good and keep those leaves from blowing around properties all winter. Uh, then we've reestablished that natural nutrient and carbon cycle and everything looks good. It's aesthetic and uniform. It, you know, some people, if they just want natural forest litter around their trees, Hey, that's great. Then you can just kind of leave it alone and let things cycle. So, so that's number one thing I think we could improve on is let's get that cycle reestablished. Uh, in cases where that's impossible, you know, a lot of people like the, the turf going right up to the bases of their trees and they're not really interested in having mulch beds or, or for whatever reason, they don't want to let the leaves fall and just mulch over top of them. Uh, we do have systems where we can replace uh, that nutrient and carbon load. We can top dress composts uh, over turf and it'll pretty quickly filter into the turf and, and disappear. It'll nourish the turf and the, the trees and shrubs uh, growing in the turf. And then, of course, we also have synthetic fertilizers, which will replace the nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, uh, other micronutrients. Uh, we can use that as a replacement for the leaf litter. You know, a typical forest floor, uh, hardwood forest, it'll release something on the order of 30 pounds plus of nitrogen per acre per year. Yeah, so if we take that away, we take that cycle away, uh, we can replace that with synthetic fertilizer. Ideally, something that's slow release that will decompose over the course of a year or so and never really spike the nitrogen out of control. So Chris, there was some good news in there for me. Since I live in this oak forest, the way I interpreted what you just said is I'm no longer raking those leaves. I can leave them down. I leave them in my beds. It's good for the butterflies and certainly good as it breaks down to feed all those plants. Is that what you just told me? I hope it is. I'm giving you permission to let those leaves fall and never touch them again. Chris, you're my hero. <laughs> One less thing you have to do every year. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I've seen lots of properties where uh, it'll be like an oak forest and uh, they're in the habit of raking and blowing out all the leaves. And so eventually uh, the soil becomes really hard and crusty and, and often it'll just get colonized by moss and uh, just loses nutritional content and carbon over time. And uh, you start to see those oaks decline in a lot of cases. They just start running out of uh, nutrients. So yeah, I'm giving you permission. Let the leaves fall and walk away. I, yeah, I'd say one exception would be uh, you do want defensible space like around your home and other buildings from uh, wildfire and things like that. So you make sure you're leaving like a 50 foot buffer of a, it could be zero scape, you know, gravel and hardscape, or it could be just green growing turf. Make sure you're leaving a buffer around your home and buildings and things like that. But outside of that, yeah, I mean, just let the litter fall and cycle naturally. So tell me a little bit about your job. What what do you do as a technical advisor? Uh, uh, lots of things. So you know, primarily I'm a, a scientist, so I'm here to provide scientific support for uh, various uh, branches of uh, the Davy Tree Company. Uh, so a lot of it is remote uh, diagnostic and prescription support. So if people uh, identify uh, an issue in the field. They're not sure what the cause is. You can't identify the pathogen or the pest. Uh, they can talk me through it or, or send a photo or we can get on 
uh, FaceTime or some other platform and take a look at it, and I'll help them diagnose the issue. And then because I, I work as a team with a bunch of other technical advisors and our diagnostic laboratory staff uh, back in Kent, if I don't know the answer, I can reach out to our team and almost always uh, one of, or another of our team members will know what the answer is. And then we can come back with a plan, uh, work on a plan with that uh, that Davy staff member for what to do. There might be a, a product to apply or a certain uh, strategy to employ to to manage that problem. So that's a lot of it is that remote uh, diagnostic support. And then a, another big part is uh, training. So whether it's uh, teaching at our uh, flagship programs like the Davy Institute of uh, Tree Sciences or uh, various plant healthcare updates, uh, but also uh, field training. So I'll go around, I'll try to visit uh, all the offices in my territory at least once per year, uh, spend a day riding along with uh, plant healthcare technicians or uh, arborist representatives and uh, looking at different issues and just doing field training. Uh, a lot of times I'll be put with uh, more junior members of the team and uh, we want to work on their diagnostic abilities and kind of how they think about uh, client properties. Um, we do uh, environmental and safety training as well on uh, like pesticide usage and per personal protective equipment for applying pesticides. So making sure everybody has the, the equipment that they need, uh, maintaining it well, um, handling pesticides safely uh, in a way that's uh, legal. It, I, I do a lot of uh, speaking at conferences. So I, I very frequently get invitations to talk on topics like uh, soils and tree conservation for construction and uh, topics like that. So I travel uh, year round to various conferences. And, and that's more about just educating our field, you know, educating our industry and the public, kind of bringing everybody up to a higher level of understanding. And then I uh, always have uh, ongoing research projects, you know, testing different uh, soil care products and uh, techniques for uh, clarifying water with wetland techniques and things like that. So. Tell me a little bit about your path to this job. Was science always your thing? Yeah, I always wanted to get into sciences uh, growing up one way or another. Uh, I, th I think the first step I took onto this path would have been uh, my first year in college. I volunteered at the University Arboretum and uh, helping to pull weeds and pot trees and get ready for their plant sale every year and you know stuff like that. And I uh, just kind of fell in love with um, the Arboretum there and that kind of work. And I ultimately ended up transferring into forestry because of that experience. Um, I'd really gotten into uh, the idea of caring for the forest um, on my own from that Arboretum experience and kind of working in the, the woodlots and things that um, my family had back in uh, Richmond. Eventually, I transferred into forestry at Virginia Tech and just kind of ran with it from there. I wanted to go more into traditional forestry at first, but there were a lot more opportunities in uh, arboriculture and urban forestry. So I ended up getting a, a job as a plant healthcare technician uh, working for an arboricultural firm. So I was out you know, running a plant healthcare rig, providing treatments, you know, spraying and doing injections and soil work and air spade work, you know, that kind of thing. I uh, did that for a few years. And uh, then the job at uh, Davey became available to become a technical advisor right around the time I was finishing my dissertation and um, my doctorate at Virginia Tech. Um, yeah, so it all kind of worked out, a series of kind of random events and all that to bring me here. 
but I was always driven to, to go into science, particularly into forestry and natural resources. And uh, the, the soils classes that I took as a forestry student, I liked those so much, I decided to do graduate school in, in soils. And then my projects in uh, graduate school had a lot to do with forestry as well, even though I was a soil science student. Like I worked in a land reclamation with uh, Appalachian surface coal mines and getting them reforested with uh, native forest types and American chestnuts and that kind of thing. So that was a good combination of soil and, and forestry work. And then for my doctorate, I worked on biochar projects uh, with mine land reclamation and reforestation, and then trying to quantify the amount of charcoal left behind from forest fires to improve uh, weather windows for controlled burning so that we get more carbon residue after controlled burning. So yeah, that got me here. Well, the next time that we talk, I need to pick your brain about biochar. So I'm going to put that on the calendar. Before I let you go, though, when we're talking about soil, in doing this podcast and talking to so many arborists about planting, we're not adding compost. Like, like if I was to plant vegetables, I would put compost in, in the, you know, in the planting hole. For trees, for the most part, we want that native soil in there. What do you do with though when you come to a point where you got the, the right place for the tree, but the wrong soil? Yeah, it, it really depends. So if your soil already has adequate levels of organic matter, and for me that means around five percent organic matter by mass or more, then adding a bunch of extra compost or biochar or whatever to the hole isn't going to improve the situation. Uh, so it would really be redundant and unnecessary. Um, but if you're starting from a subsoil material that is lacking in organic matter and has really poor structure, that soil will absolutely benefit from additions of organic material at the time of planting. You know, a combination of biochar and compost uh, is what I would recommend. The compost is going to be uh, more uh, what we call labile, more decomposable. It's going to release carbon and nutrients as it uh, breaks down, feeding microbes. The biochar is going to be stable. It's going to help provide stable porosity and structure so that that new tree will be able to grow roots in every direction through the soil, taking advantage of that porosity. Air will be able to get to the roots because of the porosity and water will be able to move downwards through the soil. So it really depends. It really depends on where you're starting at, whether you should amend with organic material or not. Now, one mistake you do want to avoid is if you have a really poor soil, let's say, uh, you know, a traditional method might be to just auger out a planting hole with a skid steer and then plop a uh, ball and burlap or a container plant uh, in that augered out hole. Uh, so if you make just what's in that augered out hole perfect, with biochar and compost and just make it ideal. Uh, but then there's this sharp wall yeah. of compacted soil that's really poor just outside that planting hole. The tree's not gonna wanna leave that hole. It, it might as well be in a bathtub or a, a planter or a pot. Uh, so you want to have a, a transition. You need to continue the treatment outward from the root ball to encourage those roots to grow outwards. Uh, so it might require more uh, site prep and thought than some of uh, the you know, landscape tree installers are used to employing. Um, yeah, we do want to avoid that. You want to, you need the tree to survive initially, 
but you also want to encourage it to grow its root system outwards and not uh, make it so comfortable in that hole and so harsh outside the hole that it never wants to move any roots out there. Well, that all makes sense to me, Chris. And I just want to thank you for all that great information. I could talk all day with you uh, about all these different things with the soil and such. But like I said, next time I want a primer on primer on uh, biochar. You're going to have to teach me all about biochar. I need to learn about this because I keep hearing about it. So thank you very much for your time and great information. Yeah, thanks, Doug. Yeah, I'd love to speak with you on biochar for a whole segment sometime. That'd be great. That's the next one. Thanks again. Great. Thanks a lot for having me. Tune in every Thursday to the Talking Trees podcast from the Davy Tree Expert Company. I am your host, Doug Oster. And do me a favor, subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss one of our fun episodes. If you have some ideas for the show or some feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email at podcasts, that's plural, at davy.com. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S at D-A-V-E-Y.com. And as always, we like to remind you on the Talking Trees podcast, trees are the answer. <laughs>